We're continuing our series in Genesis. We're coming to the end of the flood. If everything has been dark and bleak, this is the sky opening up and the, the clouds breaking apart and the sun shining. This is a, a less heavy text than the last few. But again, I want to remind you that this is these texts that we're looking at in Genesis 1 up to Genesis 11 are foundational texts. They're texts that tell us about God, about man, about his world, about redemption and salvation, about sin. And in this particular text, last week we looked at justice and mercy with an emphasis on justice. This week we're looking at mercy. We're looking at the the floodgates of mercy rather than the floodgates of justice. So that's where we're headed this morning, at the floodgates of justice of mercy and the nature of God's mercy to us. So with that, let's turn to Genesis. We're going to be reading chapter 8, Genesis chapter 8. We're going to be looking at verses 1 all the way up to verse 19. And if uh, you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Otherwise, you can turn in your bulletins. Uh, It's printed there for you. Verse chapter 8 of Genesis, verses 1 to 19. Hear God's word. But God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind blow over the earth, and the waters subsided. The fountains of the deep and the windows of heaven, the heavens were closed. The rain from the heavens was restrained, and the waters receded from the earth continually. At the end of 150 days, the waters abated. And in the seventh month, on the 17th day of the month, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. And the waters continued to abate until the tenth month. In the tenth month, on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains were seen. At the end of forty days, Noah opened the window of the ark that he had made and sent forth a raven. It went to and fro until the waters were dried up from the earth. Then he sent forth a dove from him to see if the waters had subsided from the face of the ground. But the dove found no place to set her foot, and she returned to him to to the ark. For the waters were still on the face of the whole earth. So he put out his hand and took her and brought her into the ark with him. He waited another seven days, and again he sent forth the dove out of the ark. And the dove came back to him in the evening, and behold, in her mouth was a freshly plucked olive leaf. So Noah knew that the waters had subsided from the earth. Then he waited another seven days and sent forth the dove, and she did not return to him anymore. In the 601st year, in the first month, the first day of the month, the waters were dried from the earth. And Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked, and behold, the face of the ground was dry. In the second month, on the 27th day of that month, the earth had dried out. Then God said to Noah, go out from the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing that is with you. Of all flesh, birds and animals, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, that they may swarm on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah went out, and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him, every beast, every creeping thing, and every bird, everything that moves on the earth, went out by the families, by families from the ark. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, We once again thank you for your word. We ask that you would instruct us by it and encourage our hearts 
in the Lord Jesus. For we ask this in his name. Amen. It is a running joke in our family. It's somewhat of a sad joke, but it's a running joke that I often forget to bring Heather home from school. (laughs) Is this not true, Heather? It is true. Unfortunately, on occasion, after I coach or I'm there with the kids after sports, I'll be down at the field or the gym, and the older two, they'll be with me. And my daughter, she'll be Heather, will be at another place on the campus uh, in aftercare. And my whole focus, my whole mind, all my energy is on those two that are with me. Out of sight, out of mind, I drive home. And either halfway home or all the way home, I find myself having forgotten my daughter. To my shame. I can be absent-minded and forgetful, and I'm sure some of you have experienced that. Um, It's a weakness of mine. And I think my daughter's rather gracious. She never complains. Um, But it never feels good to be forgotten, does it? It doesn't feel good to be forgotten. To be forgotten is a painful thing. You can feel like you don't matter to the person, that you're not important to them. right? We've all experienced that. And this morning, our text begins with these words, but God remembered Noah. Now, we can read these words and we can think for a minute that it is God forgetful. Is he absent-minded? Is he uncaring? Did he get so caught up with his flood that he forgot about the speck of wood blobbing, bobbing around on the water We're carrying the remnant of life of earth. Well, this morning, we'll consider what it means that God remembers. And the good news is this, that God is not like us. He does not forget. He is not absent-minded. In fact, he promises to us in his word that he will never leave us, never forsake us. Instead, these words that God remembered Noah are his loving actions towards his people, towards Noah and his family. It is God's mercy to them. God's remembering is God's mercy to them. His covenant love on display. Put simply this way, God's remembering is God's mercy to you. And this morning, I want to explore this idea. God's remembering is God's mercy to you. And I want to do that first by considering our forgetfulness of God. Our forgetfulness of God. Now, I have to admit, it's a little bit hard to conceptualize Noah here in the ark. It's hard for us because it is so so extreme, right? You have Noah and his family on an ark, on the waters of the flood that cover the whole earth, above the mountains, by, uh, I don't know, 26 feet, maybe 25 feet. You can't even imagine this, right? And not only are they floating on this earth, but they endured 40 days of rain. Not only that, but after the rain ceased, they endured a total of 150 days. That's five months On a boat. I love boat stories. I love boats. I would not want to be on a boat for five months. 
bobbing up and down on the water. This was after their world and everything in it, everything they knew, everyone they knew perished and was washed away. We have trouble with our minds, getting our minds around this. It's hard to imagine what it felt like for Noah and his family. But we can, we can sort of start to think about it. It must have been extraordinarily lonely. Imagine what kind of loneliness he experienced, even with his family there, the kind of loneliness. I remember over COVID, you know, we were stuck in our homes, and for the first little bit, it was like this joyous retreat. Maybe for some of you, it was always a joyous retreat. But my social being, after a while, got pretty lonely. Now, I had my family there with me, right? It wasn't that bad, but, but I started to get lonely. And that's, that was nothing compared to this. They must have felt lonely. They must have been tired. They must have been tired and weary. That's a lot. It's a lot to be there in the boat with the animals, with your family, over and over again, week after week, month after month. They must have been afraid and uncertain, right? What's happening? When is this going to end? Is it ever going to end? What, what, what is this? It's been 150 days. They must have wondered, has God abandoned us? What was this all for? Put us on a boat then to die? That's almost worse. Why does he not come? Why is he not speaking? Why do the waters prevail? It might be hard to imagine the extreme nature of Noah's circumstance. But I don't think it's actually all that hard to imagine those feelings, is it? They're not uncommon. We all face suffering of one sort or another. Young ones, if you haven't yet, you will. And whatever the scale of our suffering might be, often the very first feeling we have is that feeling of being abandoned by God. God, why have you allowed this thing to happen to me? Why have you done this? God, if you loved me, you wouldn't let this happen. Have you thought those thoughts? God, if you were here with me, life would not be like this. My marriage would have survived. God, if you had showed up, my marriage would have survived. My kids... They would have walked with you, Lord, if you had been there. Lord, if you had been there, my loved one wouldn't have died. I wouldn't have lost my job. I wouldn't feel this deep heartache. God, where are you? The death of Lazarus, Martha said to Jesus these words, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now, she utters other words, but that was her first sentiment. The first thing she says to Jesus when Jesus comes is, Lord, if you had only been here. We all have experienced this, haven't we? I have. And I would say you can't live life very long without those feelings. And friends, I don't pretend to know the reason for suffering and for all particular sufferings. Sometimes the Lord reveals it to us. He tells us this is why. We get a big glaring picture. You're suffering for this reason. But a lot of times that's not the case. 
Sometimes, in retrospect, years later, we look back and we say, now I understand, Lord, I get it. All those things, why you did it, I understand what you were doing. But it takes years and years, and to be honest, sometimes we don't know till glory. And I think it's completely normal to wonder in the face of suffering, God, where are you in this? It's normal. It can be a place where our faith grows. Our dependence and longing for God gets expressed and we cry out to Him. Right? I think if we want to start to touch on the reason for suffering, I think it's to draw us to Himself. The psalmist, he knows this, right? He expresses these words. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Let my cry come to you. Do not hide your face from me in the day of my distress. Incline your ear to me. Answer me speedily in the day when I call. For my days pass away like smoke, and my bones burn like a furnace. My heart is struck down like grass and is withered. I forget to eat my bread. Because of my loud groaning, my bones cling to my flesh. I'm like a desert owl of the wilderness, like an owl of the waste places. I lie awake. I am a lonely sparrow on the housetop. You can hear the anguish, the angst of the psalmist as he suffers and he cries out to the Lord. I think suffering does that. It draws us to him. That's good. But it can also be a time to forget God. To forget his steadfast love and mercy. To forget his faithfulness. And in our forgetfulness, to turn to our own devices. I found that in those moments when I feel most wounded, most forlorn, most abandoned by God, most self-pitying, are the moments most ripe for me to sin. Right? Well, God, if you're not going to help, then I'm, I'm going to do what I want to do. We grumble, we complain, we take manners, matters into our own hand. It's like the Israelites of old, right? They're brought through the Red Sea. They're given water in the desert because they were grumbling and complaining, right? They get all the way to Sinai. God gives them a gracious covenant. Moses is up on the mountain and the fire is consuming and the smoke is consuming. They look up there and they're like, no, God is not for us. I'm going to make a golden calf and I'm going to worship it. We're not really any different. Friends, God is not like, not like us. He does not forget. He remains faithful always. Cry out to Him. Wrestle with Him. Complain to Him. Call on Him. Come to Him. He hears you. He listens. He answers you. He will carry you through. But as the psalmist also says, forget not all his benefits. Don't lose sight of your God. Don't lose sight of him. This brings me to my second point. We do forget God. Um, that's We daily forget God. But he doesn't forget us. He's faithful and good. God remembers you. God remembers you. Now, I want to unpack this idea of remember because it is a little confusing because the way we think of remember is in terms of 
what I described earlier, like I've forgotten, I, now I remember. I drive halfway home, I forget my daughter, all light goes on, where's Heather? And I remember. But throughout Scripture, that isn't the picture of remembrance when it's used of God. When God talks, when Scripture talks of God remembering, it's not like that. In fact, we see this a few times throughout Scripture where it says, God remembered so-and-so. God remembered Noah here. Later in Genesis, it'll say, God remembered Abraham. Later in Genesis, it'll also say, God remembered Rachel. In 1 Samuel, it'll say, the Lord remembered Hannah. Now, what do all these people have in common? They were all suffering. They were all suffering. Noah, we're looking at right now, Abraham, this was when Lot, his nephew, was in Sodom and Gomorrah. And you'll remember, God was going to bring judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham was pleading on behalf of Lot, his nephew, saying, Lord, save this city for the sake of Lot. Of course, Lot is visited by angels and The Lord delivers Lot out of Sodom and Gomorrah. And in that moment, it says that God remembered Abraham. When we look at Rachel, Rachel, it was a messy family dynamic, right? One we can't really imagine, but you have Jacob. And now Jacob goes and he marries Leah and Rachel, two women, two sisters, in fact. Um, that's That's a problem to start right there, right? Like that, that's got, it's, did I say, right? yeah. And in this situation, Leah has all these children. Rachel has none. Then, after a little while, not only do Rachel and, does Rachel have none and Leah has children, but Leah's uh, maidservant has one, and so does Rachel's maidservant. Did I say, Ra- it is Rachel, yeah. Like Rachel, Rebecca, Sarah, I get it, you know, it's just so many. Um, but still Rachel has none. This messy family dynamics. But in the midst of that, God is faithful to his promises, and he looks on Rachel, and it says that he remembers her and opens her womb. She was suffering. Now, fast forward a few uh, generations, and we come to the time of the kings, or right on the cusp of the time of the kings, you have this woman, Hannah. She's a barren woman. Her husband is married to another woman as well. So complete mess, right? Complete mess. Hannah cries out to the Lord for, for, for his mercy. And it says the Lord remembers Hannah. When God remembers, it's not as if he has forgotten But it's as if his eye turns to the one who is suffering and his mercy goes forth. Elsewhere it says he remembers his covenant, his his faithfulness, his promises. He turns and he says, this is my people and I will save them. In Jeremiah you have this, of course, book of Jeremiah is all about God punishing God's people for their sins. But he looks forward and says, I'm going to make a new covenant with them. Jeremiah 31. He said, I'm going to make a new covenant with him. And he remembers, same language, his covenant. His remembering is not only a turning of his attention or of his thought, but it is a turning of his action. 
if it does, just husbands, listen up. It does not count as a remembrance if I say to Aaron, oh yeah, I remembered it was your birthday, and do nothing. That is not remembering. That is not remembering, right? If I do nothing, but I just talk about, oh yeah, I have some idea that it was your birthday, this is not God's kind of remembering. God's remembering is turning towards his people in mercy, particularly those who have endured suffering. And so we see this with Noah, 150 days in the water, alone without a word from God. And the text says, but God remembered. But God remembered. It's not as if God forgot. It's as if God said, now is the time for me to show you the awesome display of my mercy towards you. And we see his mercy in three ways in the text. Three ways we see his mercy. We see his merciful action. We see a merciful sign. And we see his merciful words. Merciful action, merciful sign, merciful words. First, the merciful action. I just want to note, notice here, it says, But God remembered Noah and all the beasts. So it wasn't just Noah. Noah. God's eyes turned not just to Noah and his family, but also to all those creatures. God cares for them. I appreciate Pam. Where's Pam? In our community group, pointing this out. God, God had care for the animals. Uh, he cared for them. But his action was this. It says, that God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock were with him in the ark, and God made a wind blow over the earth, and the water subsided. Now, we could think of that just sort of pragmatically, that some giant wind came, swirled up, and carried the waters away. Um, but when we see that word wind, it is the same word that we see in Scripture, and in Genesis chapter 1 in particular, that means spirit. It is ruach. It is the breath of God. It is the sign of God's life. And so you have this globe, right, that was at Genesis chapter 1, that there was this globe of water. And it says that the, the, that the spirit of God hovered over the waters. And so this is drawing on that. And what we should have, just as we had in Genesis 1, is, if you guys remember, I said, you should have great expectation. Here is God's breath. What does God's breath bring? God's breath brings life. So God breathes. This is God's mercy. God breathes life. And this is exactly what John tells us in his, or Jesus tells us in the Gospel of John. The Spirit moves. You must be born again. God's breath brings life life so the waters recede and the the waters abate and the flood waters go back and Noah's ark lands on the top of this mountain range and it sits on the land and it's really interesting because the 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 word here for Noah no or Noah then the word here it says it rests on this mountaintop um and the word for rest and the word for Noah are very similar. There's a word play going on here, right? Noah's ark is resting. Another way to put this is Noah's ark is Noah-ing. 
It's resting. And I was reflecting on this idea of God's mercy and this idea of God bringing rest here in through Noah, that, that through this man, God is bringing rest to his creation. He's having them rest from their weariness of sin. And, and, and now they're in a place that has been cleansed. The rest from the waters of judgment. There is peace and rest that comes from God bringing that ark to rest in that place. And now the mercy of God is at hand and they can be at rest. As I think about this for ourselves, as we consider what does it mean that we see God's mercy, I think one of the big things is that we are at rest. This is the same thing that happened in Genesis chapter 1. God makes the heavens and the earth, the waters recede, and then the, the animals and the plants and mankind is created. And what happens on the seventh day? God establishes is perfect rest. God's bringing rest to Noah, to his family. What about us? Are you weary? Are you heavy laden? What does Jesus say about that yoke? He says, my yoke is easy. He says, my burden is light. Christ, the Lord Jesus, takes upon himself the weight of judgment and wrath, that we might rest in Him. Friends, if you're here today and you don't yet know that rest, that peace, that comes from God's salvation, His provision, His mercy, if you don't know the peace that comes through Jesus, I want to encourage you. God offers you His rest in the Lord Jesus Christ. Those waters will not touch you. Rest in Jesus. So this is the first thing. God is merciful in his action. God is merciful in his action. He blows across. The waters recede. And notice here all the details of the days. I love the picture of it. Like at this time, in this place, in this moment, the waters recede. And it says it over and over again in different ways. At this point, in this time. And it says if God is saying, while the waters prevailed, they don't prevail forever. And my mercy is what prevails. What comes to, to be. What is established. And it happens this time. Judgment is this far. But my mercy is this far. Also points to the fact that this happened in space and time. This isn't some strange metaphor. This happened. God remembers in his merciful action. Second, God remembers through a merciful sign. We have this strange account and in our community group, it's such a blessing. By the way, I encourage you to do this, kind of wrestle through God's word before you come to the sermon. I find it to be beneficial for you all as I do that with my community group. Um, We do that together and we get here to this part and we wonder, what's up with the raven? What, what? He sends out two birds, right? A raven and a dove. But he sends the raven out first, and the raven just says that he, he wandered to and fro, that he kind of kind of flew to and fro. We have no other uh, accounting of what happened to that raven. And there's all sorts of speculations and possibilities of what happens to the raven and why the raven doesn't come back with anything. And Maybe it's the, the character of the raven. Maybe it has something to do with... Uh, his nature, but we aren't told. Honestly, we are not told 
But we are told that the dove was sent out. The dove goes out and flies, comes back, and there's nothing. That'd be discouraging. But notice here, Noah doesn't give up. He looks for a sign. So he sends it out after seven days again, right? After this seventh day, we're going we're gonna to do it again. We're going we're gonna to do this as a pattern of trusting in Jesus. We're going to send out this bird as looking for a sign. And sure enough, the dove returns to the ark. And in her mouth, in her beak, was that olive branch, plucked olive leaf. And it says, so Noah knew that the waters have subsided from the earth. Uh, you're going to remember they were closed up. They were shut up. I guess he had a little window. We talked at length about how this all could have happened. But, but he's shut up. He doesn't understand. He knows that they've landed on dry ground. But uh, we don't, he, doesn't, he isn't able to see. He sends out the bird. The bird comes back with this branch. And for Noah and his family, this was a sign of God's mercy to them. Don't lose hope. Don't lose hope. I'm with you. As I reflected on this, I was thinking about pre-GPS times. Some of you guys remember that. Pre-GPS times, we get in a car, maybe with a map, maybe without a map, and we might have a list of directions. And oftentimes those directions were at the stop and shop, turn right. At the Dunkin' Donuts, turn left. Go three blocks and then... Like, we don't do that anymore. But sometimes you'd be on this sort of longer journey to through maybe a very unfamiliar place, maybe a wooded place, and you're just looking for that sign, that red mailbox with the black lettering. And you're just scanning and looking, and you're driving past it to and fro, and you're looking for a sign. Am I even close to this place? I think sometimes... The Lord shows us in small ways, in the midst of the darkness, in those moments where everything seems most bleak, He shows us His mercy in little signs. And my question for us is, are we, are we looking for those? Part of, part of our, our call and trusting the Lord is to go and look, is to seek out the Lord, to say, Lord, where are you in the midst of this? To cry out with the psalmist, Lord, show yourself to me. Reveal your mercy anew. Let, remind me of your grace. And then sometimes we just close our eyes to it and we miss the little things. The times when our, our, you know, we're struggling and we're like, no one is my friend. There's nobody out there. And someone comes up and says, Rob, how are you doing? Oh, it's terrible. No one is my friend. What am I? Right? You see those signs of God's mercy. We may be going through a dark period, but we got to look to see that God is a God of grace and mercy and see what He has done. This was the big problem with the Israelites all throughout their history. They would forget, right? They would forget over and over again. They would even set up stones as memorials, as signs, as markers. We can do that too. We can set up signs to remind ourselves of His mercy. Aaron and I, in our younger days, we haven't done it in a long time, and we probably should do it more. We had a little box, and in this box, we would write down all the ways in which God was faithful to us. We put it in the box, 
And then in those frustrating moments when things were really bad, we pull it out. Sign of God's faithfulness. Look at what he did. Look at what he did. Cry out to God for that sign. God is gracious and full of mercy. He wants to show you his love and his mercy. God remembers Noah with this merciful sign. Finally, God remembers his merciful in his words. Notice the end here. We have all this talk of the, 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 the dove going out and flying around and coming back and finally it goes and it lands and it is off on its own. She doesn't return anymore. And then in verse 13 he says, In the 601st year, in the first month, the first day of the month, the waters were dried from the earth. And Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked, and behold, the face of the ground was dry. In the second month, on the 27th day of the month, the earth had dried out, and then God said to Noah, Go out from the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives, and on and on with all the animals as well. This is one of the most beautiful aspects of God, that he isn't silent. There are times where he is, in a sense, for a period. He is silent to draw us to himself. I think we see that angst in the psalmist that we cry out to the Lord, but the Lord is never silent. He reveals himself to us in his word, and he tells us of his gracious promises here that they are sure, that they are yes, that they are amen. And we can hold those words tightly to ourselves and say, this is true. God has spoken, and I can hold this, and it will never fail. So in our sufferings, when things are bleak and dark, don't forget, the Lord remembers, and he speaks words of mercy. I want to read to you these words of mercy found in Romans chapter 8. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is it to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who is raised? Who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation? Shall distress? Shall persecution? Shall famine? Nakedness? Danger? Sword? For your sake we've been killed all the day long, and we're regarded as sheep to the slaughter. It's what was written. No. No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you know that, that truth? That word that is spoken to you that is yours, that you can take to the bank and say, I am his and he is mine. His banner over me is love, and there's nothing 
that can separate me from that. God's merciful words to you. He said he would never leave you, never forsake you. So what's our response? Remember the Lord. Right? The Lord remembers us. He's faithful. We are generally forgetful. And so the call to us is to remember the Lord. Notice here Noah is faithful. He does not leave the ark until God speaks. God says you leave the ark, go in the ark. He goes in the ark, shuts the door, doesn't, doesn't move an inch, stays where he is, sends out, calls out for signs, looks for the Lord's mercy. But at the end of the day, when the Lord says go out, he goes out. And can you imagine that day when they pull the roof off the boat or whatever it was, the covering, and they're looking out at a brand spanking new earth. Perfect, glorious, wondrous, full of life. Already olive trees are growing. So God has planted these things and made them sprout up in his divine, sovereign power. And when God says, go forth, they go out. Now it's Genesis one all over again. Go, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it. The only difference here is Noah and his family carry with them the seed of the serpent. The only blemish now on the earth is actually Noah and his family. And we'll look at that next, in the next couple weeks. But I just want us to see right now Noah's faithful obedience. And as we think about that, as we think about what does it mean for me to trust in the Lord? It means for me to walk, just as it is for him to remember, is for him to act in mercy. So for us to trust in the Lord is not just mental ascent, but it is for us to walk in newness of life. And in that, we enjoy that bounty of the created world that he made. We go out and we're fruitful and we multiply. And the more, and take that in its broadest sense, the more we go in the way of the Lord, the more enjoyment we have of His world. Remember the Lord. Don't forget His faithfulness to you. Walk with Him in obedience. What a good news. God is merciful in all His ways that He remembers us. And of course, as we come to the Lord's table, which we'll do in just a minute, here's the place where we can remember Jesus. So with that, let's pray. Heavenly Father,